0: Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called, What I Learned in Wales This Summer. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, September fifteenth, two 2013. This past summer, my wife and I walked the 177-mile Offa's Dyke Path. It's one of 15 national trails in the United Kingdom. The path follows the remains of the earthwork built by King Offa in the 8th century to mark the boundary between England and Wales. We started in Chepstow across the street from an 11th century castle, then walked north 15 miles a day for 12 days. We finished at Prestatyn on the Irish Sea near Liverpool. Highlights included Tintern Abbey, built in 1131 and the inspiration for William Wordsworth's poem, and the hill forts in the Clutian Range that date to 700 BC. Getting away from the books, cell phone, and computer were therapeutic. Walking with our daughter, who just graduated from college, was special indeed. We met fellow hikers from Germany and Australia, indulged in England's famous cream tea, talked with Welsh sheep farmers, and enjoyed the village pub life, where, by the way, dogs are welcome. And we only had three hours of drizzle in two weeks of walking. This was our third long-distance walk. Two summers ago, we hiked the Wainwright coast-to-coast path in northern England. Last summer, we walked the 500-mile Way of St. James in Spain. That was about 60 days and a 1,000 miles of walking. Every day, dirty and delightfully dead tired. And every night, a different village in bed. And, at each stop, a warm welcome. No matter how muddy or sweaty we were, our hosts welcomed us. Walking holidays are common in the United Kingdom. When you stumble in at the end of a long day, they're ready for you. They stuff newspapers into your wet boots, then they put them in a drying room. And then they immediately offer you hot tea. My favorite stop was a farmhouse called Plas Panuka in Carewis, Wales. The 40-acre property has been in the family almost 500 years. We slept with the window open to enjoy the total quiet. And for dinner, Mrs. Price served us homemade chicken pot pie. In the reception hall at Plas Panooka, there's an old fireplace with an oak beam. And carved into the beam is a Welsh message. It says, a welcoming hearth beckons. In other words, you are welcome here. The life of Jesus revealed the heart of God. He does this with crystalline clarity in the Gospel this week. Luke writes, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. To emphasize this divine welcome, God's unconditional acceptance, Jesus tells three parables that all repeat the same point. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. People felt safe with Jesus. He exuded compassion. Jesus welcomed all the people we ignore and despise. The sexually suspicious, the religiously impure, ethnic outsiders, rich tax scammers and lazy poor people, soldiers of the Roman oppressors, the chronically sick and the mentally deranged, women, widows, and children, and even his closest disciples who betrayed and deserted him. The only people who did not feel safe with Jesus were the religious experts who appointed themselves as gatekeepers of God's love. They had good reasons to feel unsafe. In Matthew 23, Jesus denounced them with seven woes as hypocrites, snakes, and blind guides. When Jesus welcomed the unwelcome, when he accepted the unacceptable without any preconditions. He angered these religious experts. In the Gospel this week, Luke says they muttered. And in the parable of the prodigal son, the older son got angry at his father's indiscriminate compassion for his younger brother. Whether then or now, there's a bitter irony in how the simple act of accepting a person angers some people. But whereas the gatekeepers get angry, Jesus says three times that there's joy in heaven when the lost is found, the dead is enlivened, and the prodigal is welcome. In this week's epistle, Paul uses himself as an example of God's unlimited patience. God's welcome, says Paul, is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Throughout the New Testament, Paul describes himself as a former religious zealot who tried to exterminate the early Christian movement. In Acts, he supported the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Breathing threats of murder, Paul collaborated with authorities to track down believers from house to house drag them back to Jerusalem and imprison them. He worked fervently to destroy the church. To the Corinthians, he admitted that he didn't even deserve to be called an apostle and was instead the least of the apostles because of this violent past. To the Galatians, Paul wrote, For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And to the Philippians, Paul bragged as to zeal a persecutor of the church. And in this week's epistle to Timothy, as an old man, Paul was still haunted by his past. He describes himself as, quote, formally a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. But God welcomed Paul, and his conversion moved him from violent aggression to indiscriminate love. You don't need to do anything to receive God's welcome, because, in fact, there's nothing to do. God welcomes us just like we are and right where we are. Martin Luther described faith as the beggar's empty hand that simply accepts a gift. The only thing to do is to accept that we're accepted. In the words of Paul Tillich, you are accepted. You are accepted by that which is greater than you, in the name of which you don't know. Simply accept the fact that you are accepted. If that happens, We experience grace. Grace tells us that we're accepted just as we are, writes Donald McCullough. We we may not be the kind of people we want to be. We may be a long way from our goals. We may have more failures than achievement, but we're nonetheless accepted by God, held in his hands. Such is his promise to us in Jesus Christ, a promise we can trust." And so the very last line of Terence Malick's recent movie, To the Wonder. It says it best. Love that loves us. Thank you. For a book this week, I review a collection of poetry it's called Angles of Ascent, a Norton Anthology of Contemporary African American Poetry. The editor is Charles Henry Rao New York, Norton, 2013, 617 pages. In 1976, Charles Rao founded the literary journal Kalaloo, to give voice to marginalized black writers in the South. The title comes from the word for a Caribbean stew. For the last forty years, he's been a sort of talent scout for black writers, making him the perfect scholar to assemble what many are calling the definitive collection of contemporary black poetry to date. In this new anthology, Rao, professor of American literature at Texas A&M University, collects over 300 poems from 86 authors. In his 25-page introduction, Rao describes the conflicting demands placed upon black poets during the Civil Rights Movement, the Black Power Movement, and the Black Arts Movement. On the one hand, blacks expected their poets to serve their social and political ideology while on the other hand, whites controlled university departments, academic journals, and publishing houses. He calls the result a divided self. But beginning in the late 1970s, black poets rejected this prescriptive agenda and began to write about their own unique experiences. Thus, a reversal. Rao writes, They are the first generation of black writers who, en masse and by example, asserted the right to commit themselves to their art, rather than commit their art to black America's political, social, and economic struggles. In an interview on PBS, Rall observed, what fascinated me about the contemporary writer is that turn from the external world into the interior world. Not the obsession with the struggle, not that that's not a valid subject, but that has been written about over and over. And these writers were not committing themselves to that struggle. They were committing their poetry to itself, to its craft, to its beauty. Writing with a broader purview broadened both the poetry and the audience. And consequently, most of the poetry of this new anthology comes from the post-1970s. It demonstrates the wide variety of voices, content, and style in contemporary black poetry. The editor is Charles Henry Rao. The title, Angles of Ascent. For movies this week, I review a title called, The Mystery of Easter Island, 2012. This 52-minute documentary by Nova National Geographic explores two of the many controversial questions about Easter Island in the South Pacific Ocean. So named for the Dutch who landed there in 1722 on Easter morning and were the islanders' first contact with Westerners. By 1877, numerous factors had precipitated cultural collapse, and only 110 people remained on the totally deforested island. The island is remarkably isolated, 1,300 miles from the nearest inhabited land of Pitcairn. So, first of all, what caused this cultural collapse? The film also considers the many questions about the 887 stone statues, or moai, that were carved out of a quarry of volcanic rock with stone tools. How and why did the Polynesians carve them? How did they move the monsters that were as high as 32 feet and weighed 80 tons? From the quarry to their neatly aligned pedestals. Archaeologists Terry Hunt and Carl Lippo run an experiment with volunteers to test their hypothesis about how the Moai were rocked back and forth upright along roads. This film, 52 minutes long, would make for excellent family viewing. I watched it on Netflix streaming the mystery of Easter Island. And finally, for poetry this week, we've posted yet another poem from our collection of 25 Celtic poems and prayers. It's called, I Pray for Thee, A Joyous Life. I pray for thee, a joyous life. Honor, estate, and good repute. No sigh from thy breast, no tear from thine eye. No hindrance on thy path, no shadow on thy face. Until thy lie down in that mansion, in the arms of Christ benign. I pray for thee a joyous life. Thank you for joining us at JourneyWithJesus.net for Sunday, September 15th, 2013. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.